Hi, I'm Chris Sprouse, Speaker of the Florida House and former prosecutor. From policy briefs to white papers, court cases to brutal police records, no matter my role, reading has been a central part of my mission to defend American values. But this isn't just my job. Reading books is a personal passion, and getting to know the authors behind the ideas on the page is one of my favorite pastimes. The Red, White, and Blue podcast is now in session. Hi, everyone. Today, we're talking with Jonathan Isaac, power forward for the Orlando Magic, about his brand new book, Why I Stand. It's a powerful story of hope for American free speech and an inspirational example of standing firm for your beliefs, even when the world is trying to knock you down. Many of you will remember that overnight, Jonathan went from being an NBA star to a household name when he became the first player to stand for the national anthem in the NBA bubble while all the other players were kneeling. In 2021, you might remember that Jonathan was back in the headlines for his eloquent explanation of his decision to exercise his own personal medical freedom during the COVID-19 pandemic. I had the opportunity to sit down with Jonathan to talk about these big moments in his life. You're going to want to hear about those moments in his book, but more importantly, you're going to want to hear the story that is Jonathan Judah Isaac. Join us now. All right, Jonathan. Well, thanks for thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Well, there's a, there's an old saying, I'm sure you've heard it, uh, never judge a book by its cover. <laughs> Although I hope there's going to be an exception for your book, Why I Stand, because the cover, I think, says so much of what the book is about, which is, you know, this certainly this moment in time, but in a bigger context, your life about what it's like to, to believe in something strong enough to, to stand alone. So, so tell us a little bit, start us off with that moment. Um, people who are probably listening know the story. Uh, we're in the middle of a very tumultuous time in the country. Um, there's this moment where people are kneeling for, you know, Black Lives Matter during the national anthem. And the, you are on the court and you're the only one standing up during the national anthem. Why'd you do it? Tell me what's going on in your mind at the time. Yeah, I got you. I, I would start by saying I disagree with you a little bit on, on, on the cover piece, not in a bad way, but just that there are so many people who are checking it out that had a preconceived notion about what the book was going to be about. Like I'd be, you know, you know, everybody, oh, he's, he's, he's on this side, he's on that side, he's making it about himself. And he wrote this book to kind of glorify himself in the moment. And when people are really able to check it out, they're able to step back and say, wow, like I've gotten so many messages like that, like people that are just like, wow, going into it, I didn't expect it to be so much about your struggles and, and how you got that moment in the first place. So yeah, the, the time was just, I, I, it's hard to put into words um, how tense, um, not just that moment was, but how tense the time was. Uh, you know, everyone was was walking on pins and needles about the right thing to say, the right thing to do. Um, and, and, and what I felt that there was, there was such a strong uh, feeling of this is the only way to support Black lives in this moment. You have to kneel, you have to wear the T-shirt and you have to kind of pledge your allegiance to the Black Lives Matter movement and, and organization by putting that T-shirt on. And so um, so what, what I tried my best to do with, with the, the tragic death of George Floyd when that happened was take a step back and say, what is the best way for me to respond in this moment as an individual? I, did, I didn't want to go along with the narrative. I didn't want to, I didn't just want to jump into something. I wanted to really think about it. And, um, and, and in thinking about it, I was saying to myself, um, racism and, and all the things that plague our societies are heart issues. And, and I know from my own life and experiences that 
It's not going to be a movement. It's not going to be a party. It's not going to be an organization that can change the hearts of men. It really is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I said, you know what? That's the message that I want to preach. I want to preach that we all fall short of the glory of God. We've all made mistakes. We all have done things wrong. And this moment can be a moment of progress and love if we're able to see it that way. It doesn't mean that when somebody does something wrong, they don't pay consequences for it, but we can show love and mercy and grace as they go through it and not be the first one to throw a stone from a glass house. Um, and, and so I just felt like there was a lot of that going on. I felt, I felt like there was a lot of division. Um, I felt like the things that were coming out of the Black Lives Movement weren't, um, they weren't sufficient for healing the actual problem, um, which, which again, are the hearts of men. And so me, along with the people that are so vital to me, and, and as you read the book, you get to see how important Doc is to my life, my, my now wife, my church family, all those people that have helped me to kind of get to this point, my, my, my family as well, um, have, have w- walked me on this journey to get into this point where I said, you know what? I'm going to stand up for what I believe in, no matter the backlash. I knew I was going to be a coon. I knew I was going to be an Uncle Tom, but I was like, you know, I'll I'll take it um, because I know that this is what people really need to hear. Yeah. I, uh, and certainly I know you you talk about in the book about some of that backlash that you got from a lot of different people and how you handled it. But I I loved what you said about my comment about the cover of the book about, hey, people look at the book and they think it's about one thing, but really it's, it's about so much more than that. And really, you know, not to spoil it for everybody, but that's that's just a small portion of what the book is really about. It's really about, you know, you and your life. I, I want to rewind a little bit to talk about you. There's this uh, this image in the book that I loved about, uh, if I remember correctly, you know, your dad runs the McDonald's. I think it's in Times Square yeah. uh, in New York City. You're a kid. It's multi-level McDonald's and you guys are sleeping, like camping out one night like playing as kids and like sleeping in the McDonald's. And it was just a, it, it was just a cool memory for you as a kid. So share, share that with us and what that was like growing up. I know that was an important time for you with your dad. Yeah. I mean, so the, the, the thing that was interesting for me, especially being able to look back is like, I didn't know we weren't well off. Like I, you, we were just like all the other kids. Like we, 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 we kind of were scrappy. We were rough around the edges. We all just like to play around and mess around, but nobody really had anything more than anybody else in, in the entire school pretty much. And so there was never a feeling of, um, you know, not really having enough or going without. Um, and that didn't really start until I transitioned to Naples, Florida, where I was able to see like, OK, there's obviously a difference between me and these other kids. But so, you know, my, my dad worked the night shift. So he was asleep during the entire day. Um, and then my mom worked all day, like nonstop, two and three jobs just to make sure that we were cool. And so um, there was nobody to take us to school in the morning. Because my dad worked the night shift, he didn't get off um, until early in the morning and we had to be there. And so the, the only way to do it was for us to sleep at the McDonald's. And so, but at the same time, it, it wasn't something that we were like, oh my gosh, we're sleeping in the McDonald's. It was like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing in the world. And so, like you said, it was a two-store McDonald's and we had to do this several nights and sometimes, you know, weeks at a time. Um, and we would just have our clothes that we would wear to school the next day. And we'd have blank- blankets out on the floor at the top level and we could see people coming in and eat the food and smell the food and everything. And we just, we kind of turned it into our own little thing, but then being able to look back from the position I'm in now and be like, okay, yeah, <laughs> that, that that's a little rough. It was a, it was a super cool story. And, um, but also, you know, you talk in the book about that time in your life and, you know, you're in the Bronx and families together. And at some point your folks, you know, they split up and you moved to Naples with your mom and, um, tell us a little bit about, you came down here and you have this line in the book about the stage of your life. And it kind of, it just stuck me in the heart when I read it, which was, you know, this is what I was doing. This is how I was behaving. Do you think I missed my dad? <laughs> and I just thought, man, that just hit me like a ton of bricks. I had to like put the, the book down for a minute and like take, wow. a, take a second. So like, tell us a little bit about that time in your life. And I know that comes for full circle with your dad, but 
you know, what was that like and how did that, how did that shape that, that period of time? Yeah. What, what comes to my mind is like, you know, we don't always know the root cause of the, the, the things that are happening in our life. And so uh, my, my life kind of just gets uprooted. You know, my parents split up on my mom in like a frantic kind of hasty decision just says, I'm taking the kids and we all go to New York. I mean, go to Naples, Florida, and we're, we're set there and we're living there. And I, I never had, um, you know, my, my, like you said, my dad was, was like my superhero. He was everything to me. I really felt like I had a special place um, with them even more than my other siblings. And so not having him there anymore. And then my mom is now working twice as hard as she was working before I had no, everything I had to deal with was in my own head. And so um, I'm trying to rationalize what's going on. I'm trying to fit in in school. I'm trying to, uh, you know, grow as as a young man. So the time was just weird. It was just, you know, every, everything was 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 on the edge. Um, and then that line comes into play, like as you're looking at my life and you're seeing how I'm reacting to certain things, you see how I'm behaving in school. Could it be that, you know, because of this, you know, this this figure in my life who was who was a rock kind of figure and somebody that always had us in church, always talking to us like, um, you know, we could be something and and, and really preached uh, character and integrity and all those different things. And at the same time, it was just a loving guy. Um, not having him there anymore. And no, not, and like I said in the book, no knock on my mom. She was trying her best to, to, to both. Um, but, but, but it's, it's difficult. And, you know, you give up something when you're trying to do it alone. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was just a tough time. It struck me. We've done a lot of work in Florida, the legislature around fatherhood and keeping dads engaged in their children's lives. So I, I think, you know, that, that moment in that book really, really spoke to me. You know, you, uh, you, you talk about the kind of the culture shock of being coming from the Bronx. My, my dad's a retired New York city homicide cop from the Bronx. Oh, wow. uh, so we, I've, you know, it's a def, definitely a different, different place going from the Bronx and going to, to Naples. Um, you're going through this time, but, uh, you know, God brings some mentors into your life, um, who really start to help you. So tell, tell us a little bit about that. You're going through this stuff with your dad. You're in a new place. You're making new friends, you know, who, who kind of helps you get through that period of time. You know, as I, as I'm able to look back, it, it really is perfect in the way that, um, now that I see myself and where I am today, there was always somebody who kind of, you know, was able to take that place of that, that, that strong, um, you know, uh, you know, masculine figure in my life to kind of help me get through the stage that I was in. And so the, the first one was, was Ron. Um, so my, my, uh, my mom, you know, she, she was started dating at the time that we were in New York, I mean, in, in Naples, Florida, and uh, she meets this guy, Ron and uh, Ron sees that I can, you know, I'm, I'm trying to play basketball a little bit. And then he just, he just invests. He just, um, you know, he's, he's always at the games. He's telling me, stay off the floor. You're always on the floor. You're always falling. Stay off the ground. Um, but, but he, he just took to me more than he took to any of my siblings, but just for his love for sports. And so, um, he would just encourage me, you know, he spent money on me. He, uh, got me these, uh, these, these, these called like, like space shoes that you would, that you would work out in and they would help with your vertical. But I saw it, I, I saw that this guy was somebody who cared about me. Um, and, and then when it was time for me to go to school and in, in Miami Dade and we had to drive every day, he was the one that sacrificed to do it. And so that was spending time away from my mom, um, driving me back and forth every day. It was a grind, but, but it showed that he believed in me. And so it went from him, uh, also Bora, Bora was huge. Um, when I was playing, uh, the first kind of my first kind of AAU ball. Um, and him letting me spend the night at his house all the time and and, and just all, all those different ways like that. And then we get to Coach Gates, who's like that. Um, I would say Coach Gates takes it up a level because he's invested in trying to get me reconnected with my dad. And so he goes behind the scenes once I get to Florida State um, and he, he sends a letter to my dad while I'm there. Like, you know, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Coach Gates. I don't want the first time that we meet each other to be, you know, when Jonathan is at the draft, you know, I want to get to know you, all this different stuff. And that starts the reconnection with me and my dad, because we hadn't talked, we haven't spoke for so, for so long. Um, and, and so, yeah. 
that is that is a super cool thing. And first of all, I'm a big Ron fan uh, because I'm thinking of myself when I'm reading that part of the book. Man, this guy's driving like an hour and a half, like yep. to both, you know, there and back to to get you to this cool program where you can you know improve your ability to play. But let's talk about Coach Gates for a second because I think it's it's such a your evolution of your relationship with him is obviously pretty special, and I want you to talk a little more about it. And especially this time where where you say he he goes the effort to reconnect you with your dad. Now that you've had some distance from it, you wrote the book, you're thinking about it from a different time. Why, why do you think he did that? And and what did it mean to you? Well, I, I think part, part of the reason why he did it for sure is that um, he's he's been through this before. So he, he, he he's a recruiter. He's, he's, he's had other kids in the program. And I'm sure that he could take a step back and say, this is something that I know that these kids need. As much as they don't want to show it, as much as they want to show that they're macho and can do everything on their own, they need their dad. And so um, even though he was playing that kind of when I was on campus, that kind of parental role and making sure I'm good, um, you know, he, he saw fit to like, no, you need your actual father because there's, there's something in you um, that's just that that just needs it. It's just the how, how we're wired. And so, um, you know, at, at the, and, and then just him caring about me, you know, the thing that drew me to Coach Gates was that uh, going having all these phone calls with these college recruiters and everything, everything was about basketball. Everything was about you're going to be the next guy. And they didn't know that that scared me, you know, that, 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 that terrified me. Like you're talking about the NBA. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you have no idea. But he was the one that kind of really took an interest in me personally, talking about the girls, talking about how I was feeling. And I was able to open up a bit. Um, and, and our relationship just kind of blew off, blew up from there. You know, as a sports fan, uh, I'm reading this period of time between, you know, when you're in high school to when you start, you know, going to college or getting recruited and, you know, it's easy for us to sit and watch the draft and have a good time and think like, oh, this is great. This is great players getting drafted. You, you do this amazing job of talking about the unbelievable pressure that right. you felt and the expectations and what those expectations did to you. And I think a lot of people out there who have anxiety about anything, whether you're in a high performance game like basketball or something else or just the workplace or being a parent or a single mom. Um, I, I think there's a lot to learn from from your situation. So tell us about how that you, you started realizing the anxiety that you were under, the pressure you were under, how it manifested itself and what you did about it. So it, it started when I was when I moved from Bronx to Naples and and trying to fit in. And so, I, you know, there's a couple moments in the book where it shows you how terrible I, I, I kind of managed fitting in. Um, and then, you know, I took on the nickname Ethiopia when I was in high school uh, because I was, you know, I, I was dark and I was skinny. And, and I, it was the first time I felt myself even in middle school, being self-conscious, where in, in the Bronx, I, you know, we were just existing. We were all on the same field. But then I found myself in my head more thinking about my actions, thinking about what's the right thing to say. So, you know, I don't offend anybody and I don't get rejected. I don't call I don't get called names. And so I developed that anxiety and fear kind of on the inside of me. Um, and then I found basketball. And so basketball was able to get me everything that I thought I needed. I needed the validation of other people. I needed, you know, people to want to talk to me and love me. And basketball brought that. So I was able to pour everything that I had into basketball to kind of manifest that growth as, as an individual. Um, but then I start it, that anxiety is still playing in the background because I don't want to lose it. I don't want to have a bad game and, and lose all the love and care that everybody was showing me. And so uh, when I get to Florida State, you, we, we talk about it as kind of these like earthquake moments where these tremors were going on um, behind the scenes. And then I have this one kind of explosion um, where I, I pass out in class. And uh, um, next thing you know, I'm, I'm on anxiety medication as the number one player in the state of Florida. Um, and, and even when you're talking about like being at the draft, like 
all of these guys um, and, and just, you know, the people that you see that we kind of put on a pedestal and call them superheroes and all these different things, they they all feel the pressure and it all manifests in different ways. And as as an, as a human, you need an outlet. You need somewhere to dispense that pressure. Some of us drink, some of us smoke, some of us do all these different things that kind of rid ourselves from the anxiety and the cares of life. Um, but for me, what I was able to find, you know, down the storyline is as I was able to find my identity in Christ, where it was like, man, it's not about what other people say about me. It's about what you say about me. Um, and, and the love that I was searching for, it was all conditional. It was all to me based on whether I played good or played bad. But um, the love that I was shown by the, the by the people that got brought into my life and the love that I experienced from him was that it was this unconditional love that whether I did good, whether I made a shot or not, I was loved. And I was able to grow in some type of peace and clarity in my life and kind of breathe for the first time in my life. But that that's where the anxiety started. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad to say now that I, as I've developed a relationship with Christ, I've been able to um, not defeat it, but combat it. Yeah, I, I love that. Uh, the connection between the contingent love that you felt from your performance and the uh, unconditional love that that you found in, in Jesus um, and, and that journey that you went through. And, and Doc, let's talk about Doc for a second because uh, he's all, I'm also a big Doc fan. Never met him, but I'm a huge fan uh, yeah. after reading your book. But you know, everybody, everybody is. Everybody wants to talk about Doc once they read the book. <laughs> so tell us, tell us about Doc. You know, you've never read the book before and someone says, I want to hear about this Doc. What would you say? The first thing I would say is read the book to, to, <laughs> to really get the 411. But Doc, Doc is just, he's just, he's just amazing. Um, you know, there's the whole story in the book about how we met on an elevator and he tells me, um, you know, I can tell you how to be great. And I'm like, tell me, he's like, you got to know Jesus. And from there, my life really does get flipped upside down. And there's, to me, this just beautiful story of God intervening and ordering my footsteps in order to develop a relationship with him. And then for me to find out that he's a pastor and start attending the church and, um, and any, and, and you know, kind of in the same fashion as Coach Gates, but to me, again, taking it to that next level was he just cared for me and just really was able to minister to me what the love of God was like in in my insecurities and my fears. Um, and and one of the things that I think about all the time is like when when he first figured out that I was you know found out by talking to me that I was an NBA player. Um, you know, he could have been super excited. Oh yeah, NBA player, all the different stuff. And but as he started to kind of get to know me personally, where he got to see the fears and anxiety and the things that I dealt with, he could have been like, oh, you know, this isn't this isn't what I thought it was. This isn't somebody that I want to be connected to. But he but he saw me past basketball, past you know the accolades and all the different stuff. He saw me as an individual and just you know was able to help mentor me to where I am today. That's awesome. And, you know, obviously part of where you are today is, you know, obviously you're, you know, power forward for the Orlando Magic, but you're also in the ministry and, you know, Jump Ministries has been, has become a part of your life. And, uh, you know, you describe this moment from, you know, kind of being with Doc and I think meeting your, what will eventually become your wife uh, later on and, and how you got connected. But there's this cool scene, if you will, in the book where, uh, you you know, you got some things you want to share and you're asked to, to preach <laughs> at, at the church and it's it's super cool how you describe it and how you know here you are this you know you're a basketball player tall guy good looking but you're just petrified um you know to, to share this so tell us about kind of that moment and and what you were called to say for that first time where you're really actively engaged in ministry yeah and so uh I, it was it was perfect because it, it wasn't just about speaking it was about again like everything that i led up to that point like if, if you just heard that, you know, this that Jonathan Isaac is going to speak, it's one thing. But as you get to hear about the same things that, that Jonathan Isaac struggled with, the fear and the anxiety for him to speak is a whole different thing now. And so um, Doc, knowing that and Doc seeing that is like uh, to me, I just felt like it was a God thing that it was like, God, like, this this isn't if, if that doesn't happen. I don't stand in the bubble. 
And so there's so many of these little moments. Well, that, that was a, that was a big one, but there's so many of these moments that help develop the courage and the boldness on the inside of me to say, you know what, I trust God in this moment. And I know that he's the answer and I'm going to stand for him because I, I had to stand for him to speak. And so, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's a scene about, uh, you know, me being at home and, and, and just feeling this unction on the inside of me to preach. And I'm, I'm sitting in front of my mirror and I'm talking, I'm preaching. And then I mentioned it to Doc a couple of days later. And he's like, oh, yeah, you should definitely speak on a Sunday. And I'm like, a, a, a Sunday? Wait, you, wait, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, we, this isn't happening. And, and then he's like, well, I think you should invite your teammates, too. And then I'm like, OK, you're, you're insane. You're, you're not thinking now. Um, and it, it, it was hard because just a couple months later, these were the guys that I was out with. You know, we were partying, we were doing our thing. And now I'm going to go to him and say, you know, you know, I'm going to be preaching. <laughs> you want to come hear me preach? And they're like, what? What do you mean preaching? You were just out with us last month. We mean, but um, it, 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 that is quick. Now, how quick there was like this turnaround in my life where I'm like, you know what? I really want to start doing right by God and having him first in my life and, um, and, and seeing what that is going to be like for me. And so I get up. I, I speak, I do it. There's the, there's the moment in the book where n- none of them show up, but that wasn't what it was about. It was just about the fact that I did it and they got turned into this whole thing. Magic players don't go, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I did it. And, and I grew from that moment. And then I led to the next moment and led to the next moment. And so, you know, ultimately standing. I, uh, I had forgotten about that until you just mentioned it about the kind of the media hype around you preaching and people not going right. as if, as if it was a thing. And, and, you know, I think you make the point of like, Hey, it really wasn't a thing. You know, my colleagues weren't snubbing me or snubbing the right. the, the moment. Um, but you, that's something that you have to live through that might be a little bit different, right. Than somebody else who wants to stand on principle, whether it's standing on a pulpit or, or standing during a national anthem, you have to deal with sort of a different kind of scrutiny on social media right. and Twitter, uh, how do you how do you deal with that? And what what gave you kind of the peace, whether it was at the pulpit or to stand on the court to to do those things and just sort of were you able to really block out the noise? It's been something that I've grown in um, because early on, again, I, I was still working through those feelings of wanting to be accepted, wanting to be liked by my teammates, wanting to fit in. And so when I first started getting that backlash about the way that I was living my life, it was like, oh, my gosh. I'm doing something wrong and I don't want to offend people and I don't want people to be upset at me and want people to tweet at me. But but as I've been able to grow and really find that foundation in myself and that peace in myself to say, you know what, I'm going to live the way that I want to live. Um, and, and, I, and I know that I, I know from my experience what is working and helping me. And so I'm not here trying to cram, you know, Christ or anybody, you know, down anybody's throat. I'm just living my authentic life. And I hope that you do the same. And so uh, that's what I've grown in. And so now I've, I've, I feel that I've gotten to this point, not 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 perfect in any way, but where I'm like, you know what, I, I don't care. I, I don't care what you think. Um, I, I don't care what you have to say. I'm going to focus on the positives and not the negatives um, and, and just try my best to just continue to move forward. And what I'm doing, I can I can see that it's helping people. I can see that people are being encouraged and inspired. And, and I'm going to choose to focus on that. Yeah. T- tell us about your involvement in Jump Ministries. I mean, what, what you know, what role do you play there? How is it kind of a part of your life? Obviously, you're you're still playing professional basketball. So, you know, how do you how do you do those two things? So, I'm I'm a, I'm a minister. So, I'm I'm a minister in the church. Um, we have our you know, Dr. Hepburn is the lead pastor and bishop, and then there's pastors um, that are under him, and then there's the ministers, the, the people who kind of just you know tend to the congregation in certain ways, and he calls us to speak from time to time, and so. I don't know when this will be going out, but I'm, I'm going to be preaching on Friday. So I'll, oh, that's I'll, be, awesome. I'll be preaching this upcoming Friday um, at the church. So just every now and then he'll he'll call me and be like, you know, I want you to speak. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, but I, OK, I'll do it. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's the role I play. So I, I try my best to be there as much as possible when I'm, when, you know, in the summer. 
Um, when we're actually in season, it's a bit tougher to make the make the services, but you know, it, it is what it is. That's awesome. I, uh, I I got to use a little bit of your inspiration from that that part of your uh, part of your life. My my pastor invited me to preach with him this upcoming Sunday, and uh, never never done that before. You know, as a political person, talk all the time, right? Right, right. But but never in church. And I'm listening in church, and I'm praying in church, but I'm not up there. And uh, he asked me to to do this. It's a Father's Day sermon. Do a Father's Day sermon with him. And uh, I'm like, man, are you sure? Like, I, you know. But um, we're gonna do it together, and and certainly reading that helps. So. You're going to kill it. I, so, you know, you, uh, I think it's cool. Uh, I think if I remember correctly in the book, you know, your your name is, you know, Jonathan Judah Isaac. And the I think at some point in your life, the Judah, which I think if I remember correctly, your dad may have picked for you, yeah. uh, became sort of a, a real source of pride for you. And, right. you know, whether it's on gear or something you talk about a lot. So tell us, tell us about that. Yeah, I just, so it, it's, it, it really is, again, something that I just, I've come to understand is like a God thing where it's like, uh, Jonathan, the, the Jonathan that was growing up as a young boy has, has become Judah. Um, and I, I, and I say that as humbly as I can, but it's like, it's like, you know, my dad, he, he's Jacob and in the Bible, his fourth son is, is Judah. And so, um, and my dad's name is Jacob and he decided to make my middle name Judah, but I, I never got it. I never understood it. It wasn't, you know, ever a source of pride for me. It was just my name. Um, but as I began to learn about it and coach Gates mentioned it to me one time, um, and then I started just learning about it, and especially as I got involved in more ministry, reading the scriptures and all the things like that, and then just growing in this in, in, in confidence, growing um, and being able to combat anxiety and fear. I'm like, man, like I, I'm I'm becoming Judah, and and, it, and it's been something that has just kind of uh, kind of taken on a life as its own, and we're going to be coming out with a brand here soon and everything like that. And so, yeah, it's it's, it's just been cool. I, I think it's something that's cool, and you know, Jesus is a lion of the tribe of Judah, and I have lions everywhere. I got a lion right there. There's a lion right over there. I, I lion for my screensaver on my phone. It's, I, I, I love it. Well, I'm looking forward to sporting the gear. I can just tell you that. But I love the the image of that. Um, obviously, you know, Christ, lion of the tribe of Judah. You know, strong, gentle. This kind of contrast, right? And I I, I bring that up because I have seen you in media appearances, uh, whether it was after the anthem or. More recently, COVID nineteen, where you're explaining, "Hey, this is how I want to handle my situation and why." It, you have uh, an ability to convey a message in a way that is direct, that is full of principle, and yet very compassionate, not judgy or condescending or aggressive. Um, that's a difficult thing to do, and you know, I'm sure it serves you well in ministry. You know, tell us, you know, uh, you know how how can we encourage. <laughs> you know, more people to engage the way you engage and, and not just standing on principle, but doing in a way that brings people in and doesn't push them away. Right. Um, and I, I think it, it really is just having that understanding, like, you know, t- take take Jesus. Jesus, J- Jesus was, uh, uh, you know, Jesus said, I, I came not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. But then everybody's vision in their mind is, is Jesus as this baby because of that contrast, because of this loving um, friend and, and and God. But at the same time, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And so it's just um, what I've tried my best to do is just as humbly as I can. And, and as I you know, as I know how to just walk out this, 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 this Christian walk in this Christian life. And so um, whenever I am faced with these moments of, you know, having a microphone shoved into my face or, you know, somebody asking me a question that's pointed or, or any way, I'm just like, I want to try my best to win you. Um, and, and, and I, I, I don't want to, you know, chop off your nose and then ask you to smell the roses. I think that's some, something that people say from time to time. <laughs> 
but, but yeah, so I, I, I know what I believe in my life and I'm going to stand on that. I'm going to stand on these principles. Um, but at the same time, I, I just, I want to do it in love because at the end of the day, I want to win the person that I'm talking to. Um, and I think that's something it's, it's, it's hard. I think it's something that, um, you know, you know, we, we've lost, you know, at times because of the way that, you know, people on the other side or people that disagree with us come at, come at us. So it's like, you, you just want to, you know, re- reciprocate that same energy. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think uh, I think we shouldn't. And I, I think that I, as, as you say that and I've heard other people say that I just try my best to, to do it that way. Yeah. Do you, do you think doing it that way has provided you opportunity to kind of um, maybe minister is the right word to to some of the individuals you interact with at your job? A- a- absolutely. One hundred percent. And I'll say that it's, it's, it, it doesn't always it doesn't always work in the moment, you know, you know, uh, uh, but but again, it leaves room for it to happen at a, at a later moment because I'm you know, you're not walking away offended. And so or you, you can choose to walk away offended. I'm sure plenty, plenty of people have, but it wasn't my intentions. And so um, I've, I've definitely been able to have more and more conversations with the people that are around me about what it is that I believe and these things. And they've been able to, to respect my position and, and you know, and, and, and come closer to the position that I'm at. And so I, I, you know, conversations on, on, you know, everything that went on that time and BLM and and not 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 knocking BLM or, in, you know, even even though, you know, some of the things that have come out late, lately about their organization, it, it's, it sucks. It's tragic. But um, what I try my best to say was, look, I'm, I'm not protesting your protest. I see exactly what you see. I see what happened to George Floyd. I see what's going on in our world. But but with the answer that you're giving, it isn't the answer that's needed. It isn't, it isn't the answer that is going to bring people together and really create the change that needs to happen, not the change that you want to see happen. And so, um, you know, I just wanted to offer my own, you know, solution. And same thing with COVID. You know, you know, if you wanted to take the jab, go ahead and take the jab. It's fine. But but you know, the the one line that I say that I kind of keeps repeating in my mind is that. Loving your neighbor is not just loving those that agree with you. It's, it's loving those who don't. And, you know, what's happening so many times today, it's like, you know, we need to be tolerant of, of, of other people's opinions, but they don't have to be tolerant of ours. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and yeah. So, uh, so, so I, I've just encouraged, you know, young people and everybody that I've spoken to is like, stand firm for what you believe because the same people are doing it for their beliefs, but don't do it in the way that they do it. Don't do it in a way to, to, to ostracize or shun the people who disagree with you. Do it in a way to win them. I, I did love, I got, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. There's a part of that time where you're talking about COVID uh, in the book and you're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm seeing other places. And I was like really grateful to live in Florida. So as speaker of the Florida house, I was pretty, I was pretty pumped to see that. No, you, you, you guys have done a, a you know, a beautiful job and, you know, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble for saying that, but it's, <laughs> it's okay. You, you guys have done a great job. Um, and, and there absolutely was so many conversations that I had with people around me where I'm like, I think the living Jesus that I live in Florida and we don't have to go through what, you know, a lot of these other cities and states are going through. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. You know, you, um, I, I tie back what you said about, you know, whether it's COVID or black lives matter, um, this idea about, um, rather than having this transactional or aggressive approach with people, we need to have a more relational approach. And that's one of the things I got away from your book, which is this relational approach that you have with people. Yeah, and, and and not to cut you off, I, I really do love that point. And um, I, I was talking to somebody else, and they were saying, uh, you know, why is it so hard to have conversations these days? And one of the things that I thought in my mind was that because conversations really do humanize people. And if if you can have this kind of thought in your head about the way a person is, or uh, you you see something and you can automatically judge that person's beliefs without talking to them, it's easy to you know shout them down as evil or wrong. But when you're actually able to open up a book and hear about their lives and hear about the perspective, it humanizes them where you can say, oh, wow, like I, I, I didn't know all of that. I didn't know you thought that way or you, how, how you got to the conclusion you got to. 
And so that's what I tried to do with the book where it was like, look, um, I know that I said that I believe that Jesus is the answer, but let me tell you why. Let me tell you from my perspective why I believe that. And hopefully you can take a step back and say, I mean, I believe what this kid believes, but I can dang sure see how he got there. And I, and I respect him for his decisions because he respects me for mine. No doubt. No doubt. Well, listen, it, it may have been your stand uh, that got me and maybe some others uh, to read the book, you know, but there's just so much there uh, that I feel like you have to offer, whether it's in ministry or guiding people who have anxiety, uh, you know, to help them get through it. So I, I encourage people to read it. Uh, Jonathan, I'm a huge fan uh, on the court, off the court. Uh, I think you're just doing some awesome stuff. And I couldn't be more grateful that you took a little bit of time to talk to us about your book. I encourage everybody to pick up a copy of Why I Stand. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me, Christian.